need a copy of Two Ways to Live. We'll be looking at this again. They're up here if you need one. Um, we've come to the final class and the final page in this uh, series on sharing the gospel with um, with our non-Christian friends and family. And the goal of the class is to uh, solidify the content of the gospel in our minds so that we can be confident when we share the gospel, so we have some um, some basis, some some foundation by which we can we can uh, point them to the scriptures. Because we, uh, especially being Christians for a long time, know a lot of things and have have just um, learned a lot of different things about the scriptures. And so when we have to narrow it down to one one topic, sometimes it can be hard. And so I, I really like this presentation of the gospel. Again, there's lots of other good ones that can be used, um, but but I think this is a faithful one that, that helps us point to um, to some of the main points. So we spent the last five weeks looking at each of the different stages or pages of the gospel presentation here in this tract, and um, so let's uh, review before we get into this week's study. Page one was about what? Okay, so in one word, God, but more specifically, God is the creator and the loving ruler. Um, and so uh, Revelation 4.11 was our text there. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So everything that was made was made by God. And we can just point these things out to people. Again, everyone knows that God exists, so let's just remind them of that even if they're resistant to, uh, they, they want to be resistant to it because they don't want to acknowledge His rule, we start there, that God created all things. And he, He's not an exacting God, one who wants to bring down judgment on people. He, he desires that all men come to repentance. So He's a loving ruler. The problem is, page 2, what? In one word, what, how would you describe page 2? Okay, rebellion or sin. And I, I was just listening to a talk by, um, by the author of this, Philip Jensen. He was saying um, he purposely doesn't put the word sin in this, in this page. And the reason for that is not because sin is an um, unhelpful word, but actually in our society, people, don't, people think of sin as kind of a mistake. And, and the word rebellion actually better stresses what, what we're talking about. And so it's not... He's not saying, you know, the translations of the Bible are wrong or anything like that, or we shouldn't use it in our churches. But, but, um, but when he describes it here on page 2, he says, we all reject uh, the ruler God by trying to run our own life. And then he goes on to talk about rebellion. He does use sin there in the middle. He says what the Bible calls sin so that people are familiar with that. But, but in one word, it's sin. So we have God, Creator, loving ruler. Then we step outside of His rule and we become our own rulers. We, we rebel against Him. We dethrone God. So let's call sin what it is. Not just a mistake or you know, a minor error. Um, let, let's call it what it is. It's rebellion against God. It's, it's dethroning Him and putting ourselves in His place. And that's why this text is such a good one. Romans 3, 10 through 12. Can someone recite or read that one? All right. And then page three, 
in one word. So we have God, rebellion, or sin, and then judgment. Okay, so as a result of our removing ourselves from God's loving rule, we now stand under God's wrath. Right? Hebrews 9.27, Inasmuch as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. People need to recognize that, that if they go on living as they are, okay, they just keep the status quo from birth till death, they will stand before God and be judged by Him. And this judgment's not going to be a good one for those who oppose Him, for those who, are, who have rebelled against Him. It's going to be an eternal condemnation or damnation in, in hell. And um, so God won't let us rebel forever. He's going to punish sin through death and, and through judgment ultimately. All right, page four. God, sin, or God, rebellion, judgment, and then maybe one word that would describe this to help, help kind of just have a hook that we can hang it on. Okay, salvation or, I mean, really we can describe this whole, this whole thing as salvation, forgiveness possibly. I would say either Christ or cross. Okay, so in your mind, you have God, rebellion, judgment, cross. So these aren't words you just spit out to them. Okay, these are for kind of you're thinking so that you don't, uh, you have an idea where you're going. You, you know the bigger picture. You know what this means ultimately. But, but the point here is that, that because God loves His creation... God sent His Son to, to die on behalf of sinners. And He wants to see all people come to repentance. And so Jesus came and He offered Himself in our place, a substitute. Good word to, to uh, consider when you're talking about um, the Gospel, particularly this point, that Jesus is our substitute, that He takes upon Himself the judgment that we deserved, we saw on the last page, and, and we take upon ourselves the righteousness that we didn't deserve. All right, would someone read 1 Peter 3.18 or recite it? Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. All right. And then page 5, the one word I would use is resurrection. Um, okay, we, we can't fully explain the gospel without the topic of the resurrection, that that people need to understand that Jesus didn't stay dead. He's not like all of the other false gods of the world or kind of um, um, world leader, or not leaders, but people to whom they look as their, their religious head. Those are all dead gods. Um, our God is alive. He, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He, um, he reigns in heaven. He's not laying in a tomb somewhere. He's not stuck up on a cross. Um, like some other churches have him, he's he's alive. The the tomb is empty, and um, and that means that that he has conquered death. That remember the one of the points of the resurrection is to show that God accepted Jesus' offering, his his sacrifice, his substitute, his penalty, uh, the penalty that he took for us. And so the resurrection is proof that yes, God accepts it, and that Jesus reigns uh, with God. And you see that picture there with with Jesus reigning. Um, in, perf- in perfect uh, submission to his father's rule. All right, or alongside of his father there. First uh, Peter one three. All 
All right. So remember, Paul said, if if uh, Christ has not been raised from the dead, then then our faith is in vain, and uh, we are of most men to be pitied. And so we have much to um, to praise God for. That's that's uh, page five. Well, the last five weeks you learned how to present the good news of Jesus Christ, and uh, that was the goal of the class. And so we're finished, right? I mean, God made us, we sinned, we, we get judged, Jesus died, He was raised from the dead. And so why, why again are we meeting today? I mean, we, we got it all, right? Well, we're meeting again because while we want to know the gospel, we also want to present it faithfully. And I would suggest to you that a, a faithful gospel presentation falls short if it does not include a call for a response. And, and that's why we have this last section. Sometimes we skip to this. We skip to the part about Jesus being loving, He dies, and He's resurrected, and now call a response. Other times, uh, we talk about the sin and the judgment and the substitution and the resurrection. We forget about calling people to respond, but this is critical. So let's talk about this here in just a second, but before we do, let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, Jesus Christ and for the message of the Gospel. Lord, we love... um, being reminded about it so that we can share it with others, but more importantly, we love it because uh, it reminds us of, of what great mercy you have shown to us, we who are undeserving of your mercy, we who are deserving of your wrath and uh, final condemnation. Lord, you have been so merciful to us, and, and just the uh, restatement of the gospel these last six weeks have been helpful for us to be reminded about how much we love you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would never tire of this great gospel and that we would uh, overflow with joy because of it and want to spread it to more and more people so that they can experience the same both um, present and eternal joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do I mean by a call to respond? And why is it important that we give a call to respond? Um, I mean that all these truths of the gospel that we plan on telling someone aren't only for informational purposes. We don't just want to download information from our brains, what we know about the gospel, to their brains, and then then we're kind of done. A call to respond is important because it applies these truths to the lives of those to whom we are speaking personally. It's a call for the the hearer of the gospel to respond. And and this should not be surprising if we were to give a piano lesson to someone we don't want them just to know about the black keys and the white keys and, and what all the keys represent and how they match up with the notes on the page. We actually want them to do something with that. And, and in the same way, we tell the gospel so that others will actually do something with it, so that they'll be saved from their sins and know that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and give glory to God. And so where does all of this leave us? It leaves us with a choice of only... Wait for it. Two ways to live. Down here. Yeah. Alright, so two ways to live. We only have two options. We either can live God's way or we can live our way. See that on page 6? And the verse we want to commit to memory is one perhaps you already know. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son, here's from the NASB, um, that I'm reading from, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So, 
We want to present them with a clear choice that that they are either going to accept Jesus or reject Him. They are either for Jesus, they are either for the Gospel, or they are against Him. We are either Christians or unbelievers. We are either saved or condemned. There There is no middle ground. There are only two choices. There are only two options in responding to the gospel, and so we can uh, we can um, represent this with a picture here that you see in the middle of page six there, with Jesus um, rightly living underneath the rule, or, or Jesus rightly ruling over all people, and um, and and we instead of rebelling against God now are living according to His rule. So we have two ways that we can live. We either live as our own king, that's the left picture there, or we live under the rule of Jesus Christ. One of two choices. So, what does a call to respond look like? What does a call to respond look like? Well, in part, it looks like asking the person to whom you're telling what they think about it. Right Now that I've said all these things, and we've kind of talked through some of these things, now what do you think about about what's been said? Is this new information to them? Is there anything that they had questions about? Something that they need to, to kind of think about? And then, obviously, a call to respond is not just what do they think about it, but but really calling them to believe on it. And so we're we're calling on them to to make a response. And when you do this, you're going to get a range of reactions, and perhaps you've experienced this before, and if not, certainly you will. Um, because you are telling them there are only two ways to respond, and because, likely, if they're not a believer, they haven't really considered that, or they think that they're okay, then you're going to get some some various responses. So let's walk through five potential responses that you could receive um, when you call someone to respond to the gospel, saying, hey, listen, there's only two ways to, res- to live, and, and uh, you need to choose. Okay, the first call is, or the first response would be no, just outright rejection. And let me get some uh, volunteers to read. We've got a number of verses we need to we need to cover today. Jonathan, John three eighteen, and then um, if you're really fast, John eight thirty two to thirty four, and then uh, Evan Romans eight seven, and Paul Matthew twelve thirty. And then I think all of us will go to Matthew, the Matthew 25. Someone else? Mike, Mark 1:15. Sarah, John 5:24. Retta, Acts 17:31. And uh, we'll stop there for now, and then we'll get some more later. All right. So the most extreme negative response, and this is the one we perhaps all fear, is just no, outright rejection. How should we respond to their negative response? Well, we need to think about the reasons why they might give a negative response, why they might give an outright rejection to the gospel. Perhaps the person is a practicing Muslim or, or some other religion and doesn't want to be ostracized from family and friends. You know, this is a real uh, threat with uh, with people in the, from the Middle East who who are called to salvation, that that they could actually be ostracized from their family if they accept Jesus Christ, or they could be rejecting because they're a staunch atheist, 
Or maybe they don't believe in miracles. Or maybe they had a bad experience with Christians. Do you know anybody like that? They don't want to have anything to do with the Gospel. Well, the reasons for their rejection can be many, but the answer that God attributes to their rejection is what we've already seen in the second class, which is they have their minds... Well, let me just uh, have... uh, Who has Romans 8, 7? Go ahead and read that. So why did they answer no? <clears throat> what Paul says is the reason they answer no is because they have minds and hearts that are hostile towards God. And they do not subject themselves. They do not <clears throat> come out from underneath the rule of their own authority and come underneath the authority of Jesus Christ because they do not have the heart to do it. They, they can't even do it. They don't have the ability on their own to do that. They need a changed heart. And so, while there's great joy in telling the gospel, there also can be great sadness felt when when they respond negatively. And part of the reason is because we feel personally attacked. We take that personally, don't we? That when they reject us, or when they reject the message that we're bringing, they're rejecting us. And but it's not really us who they're rejecting, is it? Listen to John 3:18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not All right, so so while we hate to see them reject the gospel, what we need to make clear to them is that rejecting the gospel is is uh, is dangerous. It's there there is a threat, and this is why our response to their no response should be to warn them. We need to warn them of the judgment that will come. He who believes in him is not judged, and he who does not believe has been judged already. And so we need to make it clear to them that, that listen, if you don't respond that to what Jesus is saying and what He is saying is true, then, then there are very serious consequences for rejecting Him. That's why we come to this last point. There are two ways to live. You live your own way, then you're going to stand under the judgment and the wrath of God. You're not To not accept the, the, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ is to accept the alternative, which is judgment. Page 3, right? So, so for you to live your own way is to continue on and, and to pass by the opportunity to be rescued from the wrath of God. And so what we do here, here here's the word uh, of response that we give back to them. Okay, Just one word, it would be to warn them. If they say no, we want to warn them of the, the reality of God's judgment. Um, the people may feel like they're choose to, they they have the right to choose their own lives, but actually, you know, saying you know if I if I follow Christianity, then it's going to enslave me. It's it it keeps me from being able to do these things and these things and and um, and actually, what Jesus says is the opposite is true. That if you continue on in your sin, you actually become enslaved. Listen to John eight, verses thirty two to thirty four. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And yet to him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who committed sin is a slave of sin. Okay, so here you have the the religious leaders. They're um, arguing about Jesus healing this blind man, 
and uh, who who sent this man or his parents and and um, and uh, so they they an argument ensues between Jesus and these these religious leaders and they say listen we've never been enslaved we've never been enslaved to anyone and Jesus says actually you are enslaved right now because he who is a he who commits sin is a slave to sin and so here's what we need to to pass on to our non-Christian friend listen um you know to reject Christ is the greatest form of slavery that you could ever be 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 under that is that that you are doing what what you are enslaved to do you can't not do it and uh and that's not something that's true of believers by the way okay we 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 can become slaves of our sins, but but we actually have the ability to be freed from that sin. That's what salvation does in us. It changes us to to actually just take off the shackles and start following after our Master. So warn them. If they say no, warn them. Any questions or comments on that? Personal illustrations. Yeah. Right. Yep. Same idea there is that um, you know the shoot the messenger idea is is a reality. So there will be times when when people will think that it's coming from us, and we're we're just saying, listen, you know, that's why it's so important to take them back to the scriptures. Keep pointing them to the scriptures. Listen, this is not something that I came up with this, or or, or something I came up with, or something that you know I kind of derived. This is my opinion. It's not an opinion. This is fact. So you'd look at it for yourself because when you reject, and we need to recognize we shouldn't take it personally. It's hard not to, but, but we shouldn't take it personally when people reject us because they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. Melissa. Right. But I'm good. I will still go to heaven even though I don't recognize those authority. Yeah. 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 And and the 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 um Catholics who say that they won't accept their Bible, um, if they will accept their own Bible, there's truth in there because um I think they have pretty much all of the I I think they have all the books that we have. The only difference is they add some. Right. They have Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. <laughs> So they add more books. So you could take them to John's Gospel, show them what Jesus said, and say, "This is, this is the Jesus that we're." Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah is not to convert the soul. Our responsibility is to share a faithful message of the gospel. Okay, and, and God's job is to do the converting part. Obviously we want to have a view towards a goal of conversion and pray towards that that absolutely, but but our job is to give a faithful message of the gospel and 
and push where we need to push and pull back when we need to pull back. Sandra. Yeah, we'll get to that one. That's actually one of the responses. Let me hold off on answering that until we get get there. Number two is um, maybe response. So this is kind of an indecisive response. Um, why do you think a person might respond with maybe? When you give them the presentation, you talk to them, they're talking with you, they get to the end and say, okay, there's two ways to live. And they say, well, yeah, maybe. Okay, they might not be convinced. Okay, they might not fully believe. What was that? Just to be nice, right? We live in a relative, or not a relativistic culture, but a tolerant culture, don't we? Where people want to tolerate other people. And so it's like, well, you know, I'll listen to you. And yeah, I, okay, maybe. They don't want to turn you down because they know that kind of our society, um, we, we kind of have a cultural... Um, expectation that you're going to listen to a person and you just give them a fair shake at least and then at least make them feel good about what they're saying. You don't want to just completely turn them down. And so um, it's more politically correct to to uh, just say, well, even if they know they're not going to accept it, I'm just going to hold my cards close to the vest as to what I'm going to do here and, uh, and not make a choice one way or the other so that they can't um, hold me to it or something like that. And uh, so, so people in general are going to be unsure about the gospel and, and as a result just want to be indecisive and, and uh, not want to, to make one choice or the other. And so we probably need to ask why the person is hesitant. I mean, if this is really true, what we're saying, and it is, then why would you be hesitant about something that, that is so critical to their eternal life and their present life? And, and again, I would just recommend to, to just encourage them to read through the Gospel of Mark and per- perhaps a better suggestion would be for you to read through it with them. Just meet, you know, I just recommend just maybe a couple chapters at a time. You can meet, listen, can we meet for the next eight weeks and um, just read through two chapters and, and ask questions. We'll try to see what the Scriptures say for themselves. Um, we, we offer... Um, a class like that called Christianity Explored that we do on Tuesday nights. We'll probably do it again in the fall. We've done it the last two years. And it's really helpful just walking through Mark's Gospel together and sitting around in a small group <clears throat> uh, study type of setting and just asking questions of Mark's Gospel and, and trying to investigate the claims of Christ. Are they real? I mean, it, it, who is this person? Because people have their idea of what Christianity is but but you can't understand Christianity unless you understand Christ. And the way to understand Christ is to go to the Gospels. Go to the Scripture. Find out what the Bible says about Christ. And so that's what we're trying to do there. And um, you can do that informally with just you and another person. Um, or you can do it in a larger group setting like, like we do. Um, but, but what they need to recognize is that this is a matter of life and death. So... If their answer is maybe, then what the word that I would keep in my mind is challenge. I want to challenge them. Why are you, you know, why are you saying maybe? Do, do you not understand the clear line of distinction between those who are their own rulers and those who follow Christ as their ruler? Do you understand the difference? Um, because if so, 
then you need to make a response. And if it's no, then then go back up to the first response, right? Warn them of the judgment to come. But if it's maybe, then then they need to make a response. And so there there needs to be a recognition that this is serious. There's no middle ground. There are only two ways to live, not three. Okay? I can live Christ's way or you know, and, and receive his his gifts. I can receive the judgment of God or I can kind of live here in the middle where however I want to live and, and I can just get the best of both worlds. I can live how I want to live and receive Christ's gifts. There's no middle ground. You you choose one or the other. Matthew twelve thirty. All right. So, while they may think that, hey, I'm I'm not actively rejecting Christ, it's not a big deal. Like you look at Pilate, Pilate didn't really actively oppose Christ, did he? But but he's kind of passive, indifferent, and that kind of response is actually an active rejection of God. And that's what we want to make clear that there's only two choices. That that when you just try to stay in the middle, what you're doing is you're actually moving over to this side where you are rebelling against God. Okay, you can't just stay in the middle and just like in our postmodern culture that wants to be tolerant. We want to just kind of take both sides. I want to, you know, please my family over here who opposes Christianity, and I want to please Christ and you, my friend, you know, who 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 tells me the gospel. You can't do both. You need to make a choice. And so the the response that we should have to their response in this case is challenge. Number three, our response of later. Why don't we all turn to Matthew 25? This is another passive form of rejection. The person doesn't really want to deal with the gospel. Again, this might be done out of the same reasons they would say maybe, which is they just want to appeal appeal to you just to please you, just to kind of get you off their doorstep kind of thing. Um, uh, let me think about that. You know, get back to me. Give me your business card. Let's so it. I do a sales calls all the time. Let me get just give me your business card if I need you. I'll, I'll get back to you. That's the kind of response that some people have to the gospel. And the point is, they don't want to make they they don't want to engage with the gospel now. They don't want the consequences or the the effects that it's going to have. That's going to, have to change my life. I know I'm holding on to these sins right now. And if I do what you say I must do, then you know if I must turn away from my sins, which we're going to talk about, and turn towards Jesus Christ, and it's going to mean I have to give up those things. So let me just think about that for, for a little bit longer. So what do we say to this kind of a person? Um, what we're dealing with, again, we need to recognize that we're dealing with a person who's actively rejecting the gospel. It sounds like they're passively accepting it, but they're not. There's no passive acceptance of the gospel. You either accept it or you don't. And so even if they don't explicitly say, no, get that out of my face, I'm not accepting that. To say later is to actually reject the gospel. Um, Now, they could be, we need to understand why they're rejecting it. Because there are some people who simply just need need to take some time. This is a serious decision. We don't want them to just rashly walk into a a choice to follow God. Um, so, So maybe we need to think about why they're rejecting it. Maybe... If it is that they need more time, then later is not necessarily a bad response, although we still need to, to recognize, caution them. Listen, this is, this is serious. Don't, you don't know how much longer you're going to live. Matthew 25 here is the parable of the ten virgins. 
And Jesus says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, that he told people to go and trim their lamps. And then notice um, verse uh, 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish, however, said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil. Uh, let, me, let me skip back up to verse uh, 5. While the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So what we need to recognize, these people that don't trim their lamps are actually well-meaning people that, that wouldn't be opposed to accepting the gospel, but just on their own terms, not, not on Christ's terms, like now. We'll do it later. And so this is actually a good parable to remind them of, or, or to tell them of, they might not know this, but that, that to just delay, there, there's coming a day when Christ will return or when their life comes to an end and it will be too late. And they may still be well-meaning, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he'll say, I don't know you. And so they need to recognize the importance of this decision. Can you think of any examples uh, from the Scripture of a person who was kind of on the, on the fence and needed to decide? Nicodemus, right? And he was a positive example because it appears as if he came to Christ. He was helping um, Joseph of Arimathea with Christ's body at the end. And so he, he had some time to think through these things. He came at night because he knew of the, the social implications of him coming during the day and, and wanted to ask some serious questions but, but still didn't respond apparently right then. He had to go away thinking about these things. Uh, another example I was thinking of was Herod. Um, who, remember, he found John the Baptist's teaching very appealing. He loved having him around, just loved hearing about what he had to say. He didn't accept it, and there came a point where he had to make a choice, right? He's standing there before all these people, and he's either going to be embarrassed in front of everybody and, and not bring out his head and say, no, I'm, I'm with John here, and I'm going to accept his Savior, or he's going to appease them. And, and it said that in, in order to please the crowd, he, he followed through on his his daughter's wishes, his stepdaughter's wish, wishes there and uh, brought John the Baptist's head. And so he came to a crossroads and, and had to decide. And the point is, is that, that everyone needs to make that choice. Our, our job is not to badger them um, into believing, believing. Treat them with respect. How would you want to be treated if you were working through the implications of the gospel? Think back to the time, especially if you're saved later in life, think back to the time in which you were first presented with the gospel and how unappealing and unhelpful it would have been if the person just kept pushing it in your face instead of working with you. Listen, lovingly, I want to come alongside you and help you in any way I can because this is serious. You know, and um, you never know how God's going to, to work in that person, but, but do caution them that, that later is not guaranteed. You know, they, no one knows the day or the hour. Our lives are like a vapor. They appear for a little while, then they vanish away. We don't have much. We don't. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, and and um, not not as a way to scare them into a decision, but but just to show them the reality that this is a serious decision. If 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 you hear the voice of God today, okay, not audibly, but 
to hear the voice of God today. Do not harden your your hearts once again, right? Hebrews uh, Hebrews 12. All right, questions or comments on maybe or later? Yeah. Yeah. Said I'm almost persuaded, um, but but then apparently didn't accept. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the great part about God is is that he he can use those times when it looks like they're not afraid. He he can easily um bring about some situation that that rec- you know, it seems like uh losing a close family member especially does that or some kind of a tragedy that they're they face that causes them to to step out and look on the edge of eternity and just say, okay, this is going to happen to me. And um, and so you never know that while they may look like they're not afraid, um, in darkness or when they lay their head on their pillow at night, they may very well be afraid. And and um, and so uh, at that time, you know, God can save them just because that they were presented a faithful message of the message of the gospel, message of the gospel, or they could come back and ask more questions or talk to another believer. We we don't know. So again, that's why our job is to be faithful, try to remind them and show them the urgency of coming to Christ. Um, I think it's Solomon that says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of joy or the party. Better go to the funeral than a party, basically, because at the funeral it causes us to consider our end. It can, it, when we think about that person, that person was just here and now they're gone. They're on the other side of this life. And that's going to be me someday. And what am I going to do when I get to that side? And and see, we we in our society we kind of cloud out all the idea of the of the next life, the eternal, with our pleasures and you know our our activities and our our sin and so on. But there are specific times in our lives where God just kind of peels back the curtain, uh, you know, kind of pierces through the cloud of all that distraction and causes us to just step out and look at the end and and it's at that time that we're reminded about conversations that we had perhaps with christians who said listen i know the way i'll take you there you know i'll I'll show you and so um again faithfulness is the key number four uh potential response is yes that this person does believe the gospel and wants to become a christian so what do we say to someone like this and i and i would say in this case the two words that come to mind are what Jesus preached, what John the Baptist preached, what the apostles preached, and what we should tell them, which is to repent and believe. Very simply, to repent and believe. Mark 1.15 Okay, so here Jesus is starting his public ministry, and he, he's saying, or is that, I didn't look, is that John the Baptist? That might be John the Baptist. That's Jesus. Yeah, that's Jesus. Um, so he's saying, uh, repent and believe in the gospel. Um, so this belief and repentance are the response that we're looking for. There are two ways to live. And so now here's what we... This is what Christ, not we. Well, this is what Christ expects us 
to do. We need to repent and to believe. Does someone have Acts 17.30? Acts 17.31? Go ahead and do 30 and 31, please. All right, so he has called, here's Paul at Areopagus in Athens saying to the philosophers, listen, God has called everyone everywhere to repent. It's a call of God. He's, he's, he's uh, making this demand, and we as heralds are taking it to the world, and we're telling them what the, what the king has said. The king has said to repent and believe. If you want to be in a right standing with the king, then you need to repent and believe. And John 5.24 Someone have John 5:24? No. Okay. Does someone have John 5:24? How about that? Can you go there? Yeah. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Okay, so he who believes, he, you hear the word and you believe. The difference between a believer, this is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is uh, both both can hear the word, but a Christian is one who actually hears and believes. That's the one who has eternal life. And so there's a lot packed in those two words. And um, so let me try to just uh, let me try to work through these quickly. The first word that we want to look at is belief. Although if you ever see these two words together in the scriptures, repent always comes first. But but we're going to start with belief. And um, by belief, what is meant is not just an ass, uh, assent to the truth. That is not just accepting the facts. Right? The, even the demons do that in James two, and they shudder. Uh, they're they're fearful. They they have an emotional response even to the fact that God is. But but that's not enough. They, we also have to have this unreserved trust in what Christ has done. That, that we are willing to... It's more than just a head nod, right? Um, so, for example, I could believe that Social Security will be around when I retire, but still save for retirement, right? So I believe it. it it's kind of an academic fact or, or academic point, but, but I don't really believe it because I'm saving myself, Right? And, and so, here's what we need when it comes to the gospel. We can accept the facts without, without receiving the gospel, without actually trusting in it. And so, what we're doing is, we say, oh yeah, those things are all true, but I'm going to have all these things in order to get my way to heaven, in order to be accepted before God. What we need to recognize is that, that belief demands our unreserved trust in the finished work of Christ. Um, and the object of our trust is critical. Um, I don't think Christ is so concerned about how much faith we have as much as the object of our faith. Uh, the object of our faith is critical. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must, must be saved. Acts 4, 10, uh, 10 through 12. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So we need to believe in Him. It doesn't say how much we believe. 
It's just we need to believe. Okay, we, we need to recognize that Christ is Lord and that He is the source of our, of our salvation. The last thing we need is continual belief. Look at John 3.36. It's in your handout, or it's in your, um, your track there. Two ways to live. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son or does not obey will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So here, again, if we want eternal life, just go backwards in this verse. If we want eternal life, we need to believe in the Son. What does it mean to believe? Well, it means to obey His Gospel. We know that because the alter- alternative is is also true there in the second part of the verse. Whoever rejects or whoever does not obey the Son. So there's a link there between believing and obeying. The opposite of believing is disobeying the Gospel. Disobeying the Son. And so... Um, so there is a continual belief that's expected. That it's not something that we just do one time. Like I did it, it's done, right? Who are the epistles directed at? Are they directed at the believed, the people who once believed? No, it's at believers who are in Corinth, believers who are in Rome, right? It's those who are continually believing. That's the idea that that we need to to emphasize. Now, this doesn't earn a person's salvation, but, but all who believe genuinely will, will continue in their belief. Here's what 1 John 3, 6 says, No one who abides in Him will keep on sinning. So, so we, need to rec- we need to make it clear to them that it's not about them walking an aisle or saying the sinner's prayer or all these different things that that we've kind of set up as kind of props for our evangelism strategy. Okay, the, ultimately, they need to recognize that this is a life transformation and that it requires that we believe and continue believing all the way to the end. Because only those who uh, are sanctified, are being sanctified, will, will be glorified. Um, without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. Second word there, which is really the first in the couplet when they're stated in the Scriptures, is repentance. And repentance is simply turning from sin to Christ. So we're, we're headed down a road towards sin. God says, no, you need to go this way, and we're still going this way. And, and repentance is saying, all right, I'm turning off. I'm, I'm making a U-turn. Okay? I'm, I'm turning towards you, God. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to, to be saved. We talked about some of that when we went through our first Samuel study. Uh, with regard to Saul, you know, it's not, repentance is not contrition. Repentance is not only contrition. Okay, repentance is not feeling sorry um, or having sorrow. Repentance is not um, feeling bad about the consequences. Re- repentance is not just having shameful thoughts. It's about turning away from a former direction to a proper direction. That's what repentance is. It's a heart adjustment. Um, 2 Corinthians 7.10 is a good one. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So there's two kinds of repentance. There's kind of a repentance, a worldly repentance, or worldly sorrow that leads to death. And then there's a, then there's a, um, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. All right, so the final one is already a Christian. I'm already a Christian. How do we respond to someone like this? Well, I think for this one, we want clarity. What, what do they really mean by this? Okay, because if we just say, oh, they're already a Christian? Oh, great. Um, 
then then we've just we, we may have passed up an opportunity to clarify the gospel and actually to bring someone to Christ who wasn't just thought they were because if you ask most of America um, I think it's like 80% of people think that they're Christians okay and um, and so a lot of people might respond that way in fact when you go to talk to people that's often how they'll respond when you, you say you know have you ever heard about Jesus they'll say you know I'm already a Christian thank you um, and and sometimes you just say oh we we think oh yeah that means that means like us an evangelical Christian someone who believes in in um, salvation by faith alone in Christ alone and and um, so it must be the same but we need to challenge them or maybe just look for clarity just ask deeper questions don't automatically become cynical and say well you're you're not okay because I'm asking you but 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 um, but ask them how they're growing spiritually you know um, talk to them about where they're going to church how they're being fed by the Word of God, and so on. Well, we've gone over time, so let me just conclude with the the uh, definition of evangelism that I gave in the first class, which is presenting a specific message, the gospel, to a specific people, non-Christians, in the power of the Holy Spirit with a specific purpose, the aim of seeing them come to repent and believe. And by God's grace, I hope that, that we've helped one another in that being able to to be more firm in our understanding of that and now also in our desire to go share it all right because again just like we would do our non-christian friend no good if we gave them all this information and then said okay you know have have fun with it do whatever no we call for response same thing i'm going to recommend to each one of us which is now we have all this information that we've been reminded of so now let's go do something with it because it's not enough for us to just hold it, you know, hide our, our, our light under a bushel, right? No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's sing. No. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the power that it has to change our lives. We, we see clear ways in which we have been changed from our former way of life and enslavement to sin to now love you and to love your commands and to obey you. And we want to see um, hundreds and thousands and millions more do the same. So, Lord, give us the urgency, the clarity, and, uh, and the, the ability to be able to speak these truths to people, even in all of our weaknesses. Give us strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.